Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, May 26th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, reaction to a federal judge who refused to stop a Mississippi school superintendent from requesting a trans student dressed like a boy for graduation. Plus, nearly 125,000 cars across Mississippi are on the roads with defective recalled airbags. And we speak with Mississippi's top medical leader about the future of rural health care in the state and the surge in syphilis cases. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Desiree Frazier. Last week, a trans-feminine high schooler in Gulfport was recently told by a judge her rights were not violated when her high school insisted she wear traditional men's clothing to her graduation ceremony. Our Michael Guidry spoke with Matt Steffi, a professor of law at the Mississippi School of Law, and that's the Mississippi College School of Law, about the case. There is an argument that there is an infringement on First Amendment rights. Anytime there's a dress code, uh, anytime that there's a limit on what shirts can say or how they look or other elements of self-expression, there can be a First Amendment argument. But in general, the law is fairly deferential to school administrators in where to draw the line between expression and disruption. And for something like graduation, an event with supposedly more seriousness and solemnity, uh, the control over the mode of dress would be higher versus the student's First Amendment right. But generally, the, the courts give some latitude to the school administrators in trying to figure out where to draw the line, so long as they're not obviously trying to favor some messages over others. What's, I think, more pointedly at issue here is the gender-based nature of this dress code. 
telling telling women must dress a certain way, men must dress another way, uh, and uh, no exceptions. No exceptions even for a student, uh, a, a transgender woman who had been dressing the same way for years in high school without incident. And so I'm guessing so now now that I mean, this has been in a federal court um, and hasn't obviously it, it, it's right now it's at the district court level. But how does this how does this add to that precedent? And if there were an appeal, how would an appeal work considering graduation is over? Well, the, there would be an argument that this matter is moot and that graduation that the part of the case that sought injunctive relief for graduation is moot. Now, there's an argument that it's moot as to this particular student, but it's capable of repeating itself. And so there might be some avenue forward in terms of court jurisdiction. That's really up to the Fifth Circuit. My guess is the Fifth Circuit may not want to aggressively reach out for jurisdiction in that way. I don't know whether there are claims for damages for being a, a you know victim of uh, of sex discrimination, there is precedent that what the school district did was unlawful sex discrimination. It was reported that the judge in a, a very uh, new to the bench Trump, President Trump appointee, and a person without any judicial experience and without, frankly, a great deal of legal experience with these sorts of things, said that there wasn't precedent that is that that, that guided the different decision and, and that. The law just hadn't answered this question. That's there is precedent that this is gender discrimination. Now, whether that precedent that this is sex discrimination will survive the personnel changes on the Supreme Court, that's an open question. But as it stands, telling someone that their behavior is wrong for their gender is sex discrimination. It's- the Harrison County School District Superintendent makes the decision following a new law that bans gender-affirming care for minors. MPB's Lacey Alexander now speaks with Jensen Matar. He is state director of the TRANS program. He says anti-trans legislation can somewhat legitimize further discrimination of Mississippians in the state who are transgender. Mississippi has been hit with a whole string of anti-transgender legislation this year, over 30 bills targeting trans people, mostly targeting trans youth. Uh, this is this is a, a theme over the entire country. It's been building up for you know over the past 10 years. We had over 470 anti-trans bills introduced across the United States this this legislative session. Um, and and the message is is extremely harmful. So so this this situation with LB um, and Her- and the Harrison County School District, it's 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 in a way at, in not a good way adding icing to the cake because the community has already been feeling thrown to the ground and and stomped on, and and especially our TGNC youth. Um, we just had HB 1125 passed this le- this most recent legislative session um, that prevents uh, trans youth from accessing medically necessary health care in the state of Mississippi. And and so let me tell you the the state of um, isolation, uh, you know, self self hate, depression, self harm, 
suicide ideation and suicidal behavior. I mean, this was all, these have all already been an issue in the community. The stats are staggering. More than 40% of CGNC people are actually attempting suicide at some point in their lifetime. And mental health has always been a concern, not because being trans or being TGNC is a mental health issue or a condition, but simply because uh, existing as a trans or TGNC person results in mistreatment. How does the community, specifically the transgender community in Mississippi, respond when something like this happens? Unfortunately, I think it's a bit more negative right now just because it's been piled on at this point. Everybody that I know of who is trans and or a part of, you know, this trans movement to to ensure a better life for trans people and ensure, you know, fairness, you know, we're exhausted. We're we're exhausted right now. And and I I mean we still have fight in us, of course we continue to do this work. But, you know, the communications from the community, you know, your everyday community members, especially trans youth and their families, their outreach is just pouring in to people like myself and other people who are, you know, spearheading this work. And, um, and, And it's just it weighs a lot. You know, it's been building, building, building. We're watching the news. We're keeping up with the the uh, legislation, it's like one thing right after the next, right after the next, one story right after the next, you know. And in Harrison County, you know, it wasn't just LB here. There was another child named Kai, a uh, female, someone uh, based on reporting, identified as a female and born as a female, so not transgender, um, but, you know, felt more comfortable in the black pants under the gown, which was written as part of the male dress code for graduation and was literally pulled from the lineup just moments before receiving her diploma just because of the pants to where she was told, hey, listen, if you take off the pants, right, because you're a girl, mind you, she identifies as a girl too, but she just felt more comfortable in the male uniform, essentially, under the gown. They said if you take off the pants and you just leave the underwear on under the gown, then you can go up and get your diploma. And these are just, of course, a few instances. This has been going on for many years, um, and it's just building and building. So I hate to say it, but things feel heavy right now. And moving on to rural hospitals, around one-third of those in Mississippi are at immediate risk for closing. That's according to a new report from the Center for Health Quality and Payment Reform. The state is also facing a surge in congenital syphilis. Our Will Stribling speaks with State Health Officer Dr. Dan Edney about the major challenges facing Mississippi's health care system right now. Our biggest challenge right now is congenital syphilis. It's got us really worried. We're, the surge in syphilis overall has continued, and it's spilling over into our population of pregnant women, which then infects the babies. So that's just one more challenge we have with infant mortality because syphilis uh, rarely kills adults, but it can easily kill a fetus or an infant. One of my colleagues wrote a story yesterday about Jackson having one of the highest rates of STDs in the nation. What, 
what can can be done, you know, as far as as the Department of Health's role in and and, and combating that. Like, yeah, and that's you know we're the the lead agency in terms of combating STIs of all types mm-hmm. through our HIV STI program. Uh, the county health departments are the access points for for testing and treatment for STIs of all types for folks that don't have access otherwise and uh, uninsured or those who would prefer to come to us for anonymity issues. So I mean, that's what we do. It's one of the big things of public health. Uh, what we're seeing is with the increase of syphilis you know, related to the fact that you know, the health department funding has been significantly lowered uh, the last seven years, which makes it difficult to keep the county health departments open all the time for access. Access is not as easy. We have a larger burden of investigative needs, so we have to constantly be investigating TB and the STIs. So whenever we have a syphilis report given to us, then we have to send a worker out into the field to track down all the contacts and make sure they're treated and then, you know, and try to contain that that individual outbreak mm-hmm. as, so it's not spilling over to the community. That takes a lot of effort and manpower. But, I mean, that's what we do. So all these hospitals leave in the Mississippi Hospital Association. Uh, from your, are there any concerns uh, from your point of view? Just Because I know that, that role is, of the MHA is to represent the interests of the hospitals and right. with them not being as, as organized as before, are you worried about that advocacy element you know, going forward in terms of hospitals being able to advocate for, for what they need? No, really not. I do see great value in the hospital association, just as in the medical association, the dental association, all of our other advocacy groups. But as you said, I mean, they're narrow focus advocacy. And at the health department, we're looking at advocacy for every Mississippian. I, I'm so glad there's a lot of attention you know, being given to the hospitals and the needs of hospitals. But I don't want us to overlook the needs of individual Mississippians that are having trouble accessing health care. And I think, in my opinion, state health officer, if we look at the needs of of individual Mississippians and take care of them, the system will take care of itself. Uh, We've got to look at all aspects of it and not forget just regular people. And medical marijuana, that's managing this program was just a... You know, a gargantuan task thrust it upon is. the health department, and I know there were just you know those logistical issues at first. How are things looking right now? It, it, it's rolling. <laughs> From our standpoint, things are much better than I would say. You know, I took over ten months ago, and we're in a much better place just by the program maturing. I, I've been very transparent that this is not core public health. This is not what we do. So we've had to learn how to do it, mainly by looking at other states, mainly Arkansas, who uh, you know, the health department is heavily involved there. And now states are looking to us. Kentucky just passed medical marijuana, so they're calling us. You know, what's important for me is that we don't keep diverting the limited resources we have in the health department to non-core public health issues without making the investment. I have a dream that perhaps public health might even benefit from the cannabis program but to where county health departments get some funding out of the cannabis program, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, you could speak on just the, the ongoing crisis with rural hospitals closing, closing yeah. or radically downsizing. No, it's, it's a real challenge. It has not gotten better yet. Um, my main concern is the Mississippi Delta, which is at 
a true crisis point. And I'm working with the leadership of several Delta hospitals just in terms of, you know, path, pathways forward to survivability and then sustainability. Right now they're trying to stay alive. Uh, so the, sustain, the uh, hospital sustainability grant that was $103 million that came out of the legislature, I mean, we're working really hard to uh, get that money out uh, and the way that the federal program will allow us to do it. These are federal dollars going out, not state dollars. So we're having to work with federal compliance, but we're trying to get that money out urgently to help our hospitals. Yeah, and that's what uh, what level of impact do you expect that, that, that money to have as far as keeping these places afloat? I think, um, I wouldn't say it's a game changer, but it's very helpful. Very, and, and I wouldn't downplay the significance at all. $103 million is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, when you, I mean, we have just over 100 hospitals. So, it, and some, some are going to wind up getting a little, a little more than others. But you're looking at, you know, right around a million dollars per hospital, depending on, you know, how ARPA compliance will let us give it out. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's significant for any hospital in the state. We do have hospitals in desperate need that will soak that up very quickly. But, you know, if they didn't have it, it would be just that much harder. With State Health Officer Dr. Dan Edney. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippians are being urged to check their cars for airbag recalls at checkprotect.org. It's estimated more than 124,000 vehicles all on the road right now, all makes and models across the state need these repairs to prevent injuries and deaths. 24 people have died over 14 years with 400 injured nationwide. We speak with Chris Freeman, manager of Takata Recall Programs. He says these defective bags can be extremely dangerous and give a false sense of security. These airbags get more dangerous the older they are. So they've been under recall the vast majority of these since about 2015. There are still uh, multiple millions on the road across the United States, including um, more than 120,000 vehicles in Mississippi specifically. So as these these vehicles get older and older, the risk get, goes up and up. So that's why we're, we're back talking to people about this now and trying to make sure that they understand that the risk is very important. Have automakers changed the manufacturer of airbags since this became a serious problem? We, we have replacement parts that are ready to go in each and every dealer across the country. So these parts have been recalled uh, because of the, the dangerous defect that was found from the initial manufacturer and design of these airbags. The airbags that are going into cars as the replacement parts are different, and they resolve this problem and take care of it and just remove the risk. 
I'm curious, why do auto manufacturers use the same company? Well, we, we don't necessarily use the same company. Uh, in some cases, the different automakers for different vehicles, there are suppliers that just happen to be common suppliers. Uh, what's important here is this is the biggest recall in automotive history, and there's still 7 million plus airbags on the road that need to be repaired. And we're really trying to reach owners before they get on the road for summer uh, road trips and vacations. We're trying to help them during the month of June um, by raising awareness about these very dangerous, uh, defective airbags. And June is Airbag Recall Repair Month. The metal, can you explain what happens? The metal inside of the airbag acts like shrapnel? That's correct. What happens is over time, um, when these airbags are exposed to heat and humidity, which is especially um, the case around the Gulf Coast, these airbags can, parts of them inside can degrade. And even in a minor crash, when the airbag is needed to save your life, it may deploy and then parts of the internal part, portion of the airbag will break apart and they can come flying through the airbag cushion towards the occupants and lead to serious injury or, or worse. So that's why we're, we're making sure that we're raising awareness and, and talking about it as loudly as we can. How can you find out if your vehicle is in this recall? There's a very easy way for all owners and drivers to check about uh, for their vehicles and family and friends as well. So the website checktoprotect.org, that's checktoprotect.org, is a free website, and it allows people to search their vehicle using either their vehicle identification number, which is um, located on the driver's side dashboard by the windshield or on registration documents, or even more simply, using your license plate. You type in your plate number, pick your state, and instantly a report will come back for your specific vehicle, and it will indicate if there are any open recalls whatsoever on your car. If there are open recalls, we urge drivers to please call us. We can help you get them repaired for free at the dealership that matches the brand of your vehicle. And when you say call us, you mean... The dealership. The, the easiest way to do this is to call the dealer that matches the brand of your vehicle. However, um, my Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Ram, my automaker has a call center, as do all the other automakers, and your listeners can find those numbers on our websites. But again, the easiest way is to call your local dealer that matches the brand of your vehicle. Is there any cost associated with getting this airbag replaced? Absolutely not. It is a free repair. We, we do these safety recall repairs for free. They're reimbursed uh, to the dealer by the corporation, by our company. Um, so there's no cost to the owner to get these repairs done. Have you been able to determine how many people have already taken care of this? We have. We have the vast majority of our customers have already repaired, had these vehicles repaired. Um, but there's still too many that... that need to go and we're really working hard to get all people to repair their cars and as i mentioned early on in mississippi it's still over 120,000 cars that are driving around on the roads that um, can not only affect the driver but it can also affect the the other passengers in the car how so the flying debris that's correct Uh, some of some of these cars have both a passenger and a driver's side airbag that need repair 
And the debris doesn't necessarily just stay in the immediate vicinity of the airbag. It, it's being it's being ejected from the airbag at high rates of speed and can impact passengers in all seating positions. So as as we talked about, June is airbag recall repair month and uh, for owners of and drivers of Chrysler Dodge Jeep or M vehicles in Mississippi, if they get their vehicle repaired during the month of June, um, we will send them a $50 prepaid MasterCard. So that's just some added incentive to help reduce the inconvenience, cover the cost of gas, et cetera, as, as we're going through the month of June. And again, just just to reiterate, checktoprotect.org, it's a free service. The repair is free. It's, in most cases, less than an hour. It's really important that people take action. So I encourage your listeners to, to visit checktoprotect.org today. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. 